0: I get to move around, I guess, you know, that's good. First Sunday of Lent, and Lent is an incredibly countercultural thing. Lent is a time when we think about our own mortality. Lent is a time when we think about uh, our sin. And sin is a weird word, right? Uh, I don't like it. I don't even like saying it up here. Maybe you don't like it. Part of it is my upbringing. I just have this aversion to it. If you don't like the term, maybe you want to think of the term, like use the word selfish. Use the word hard-hearted. Use the word lust. Use the word addiction. Use the word uh, whatever, right? You can make it specific. Sometimes that's easier for me because I know where uh, I struggle, and you do too. So we're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about uh, being contrite in the face of sin today, but You always have to keep it in your forefront of your mind. Why are we doing this, Joe? For what purpose? To what end? And I'm going to tell you that Lent, we're trying to prepare our hearts. We're trying to do a kind of training, a kind of Christian formation, so that we're not like the disciples who fall asleep when Jesus asks us to pray. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared. Right? I mean, can you imagine? Like... The Garden of Gethsemane is the most heart-wrenching story. Like, I totally resonate with Wendy's tears there. Like, I'm getting choked up just reading about it. Because that Jesus I get. The Jesus in the garden who's like, please, please, please take this cup. I don't want to die. Like, really, God? This is the best plan you've got? I've done everything else. I resonate with that, Jesus, because I'm like, really, God? This is is what I'm supposed to do, right? That's hard. I mean, to cry tears, to be in grief such that the tears become blood. I mean, the the agony, right? I think we resonate with Jesus here. And he says, please pray with me. He doesn't ask much, and his disciples can't do it. They're not ready. Judas is not ready. For whatever his motives, and I think that Judas is a really complicated guy, he feels betrayed, and so he betrays Jesus. And I think, I don't want that to happen to me. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. And so like someone training for a marathon, some of you like, would laugh at that idea. I would. I can barely run one mile, right? But you and I know if I kept practicing and preparing, I could run a mile and a tenth. I could run a mile and a half. I could run two. And eventually, I could run 26. All it takes is practice, training, commitment. But if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to run a marathon, there are certain things I can't do, like eat McDonald's every day. There are certain things I can't do, like neglect sleep and my body and, 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 and training, pushing myself daily. But it's the same thing. If I want to be the person that God is calling me to be, I ha- there are certain things I can't do if I want to be that person. I have to go through kind of spiritual formation, and, and Lent is part of that. So that's what we're going to talk about. And part of it is acknowledging our sin, our limitations, the places where we struggle, the places where we fail. And I want to talk about it not uh, in a way to flood you with guilt, but to suggest to you that what God is saying to all of us is, you don't have to live this way anymore. You can be free. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to be controlled in this way. So Aristotle says, every virtue sits in between two vices. I love this, I think this is true. Every virtue sits in between two vices, the vice of too much and the vice of not enough, right? So courage is a virtue, but if I run into every conflict without thinking, without a plan, I'm no longer courage, I'm rash. That's a problem, that's a vice. If I never stand up for myself or for other people or for justice, then I'm a coward and I have too little. Courage is the golden mean between too much and too little. Talking about sin is like trying to find this balance that seems totally illusory. So, I'm going to tell you my challenge. I grew up in the kind of faith that made me feel guilty and made me feel shameful. Some of you have had that experience with religion. There are a lot of people, like, like, I grew up Catholic, and let me tell you, those nuns really know how to make me feel guilty, or whatever it is, right? My mom knew how to lay it on thick, that youth pastor. Many of us have the experience of sin being equated with, Joe, you're a piece of scum, you're no good, you're worthless, hopefully God will save you with God's grace, and that is no good. To beat someone down and to be filled with a kind of shame that is debilitating is not healthy. In response to that, I don't even like to say the word sin. <laughs> I don't want to even talk about it. Methodists don't talk about it. You know this. What am I doing? I'm breaking all the Methodist rules right now. The other end of the, the other uh, uh, excess, right? So if you have too much guilt and shame, that's a problem. But then you go to the other side where well, we never talk about our problems, our shame, our mistakes, And this is kind of the culture we live in now. Where the goal is something like psychological ease. Feel good about yourself no matter what you do. Hey, you do you, boo. Be happy. That's all we want. And there's almost no call to holiness or Christ-likeness. There's no sense that being Christian means something for our lives. What would it be like to find some middle ground between these two extremes where I wasn't bombarded with all my mistakes, where I wasn't filled with guilt and shame, that, that I came to a Christian community that really provided love and grace and forgiveness to me. I could be exactly who I am and loved anyway. And yet, I could be part of a community that said, and we love you so much, Joe, and God loves you so much that God doesn't want you to stay the way you are. God wants more for you. God wants to set you free. Does does that middle make sense to you in some way? Is that possible to find? I hope. So I'm going to suggest we start with something like contrition. So uh, my sermon is inspired uh, by the book. I think I've got a slide for it. Uh, Ellen Davis is the author. Getting involved with God. Excellent. She takes on... It's like the book explores all sorts of topics it's from her old sermons essays writings very practical she writes about contrition and here's how she describes it contrition is finding the courage to let your heart break over sin and i'm going to be really specific here she means ours yours so sin t- 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 typically has like three categories broadly. There's like systemic sin, which is you're born into a world with economic systems that no matter what you do are going to hurt people. Some people will get left behind. No matter what I purchase, someone is going to get harmed, is not getting paid enough, does not have health insurance, we're hurting the environment. There are whole systems that I can't help but participate in. We're not ta- Contrition's not about that. There's like original sin or sinful nature where I have these very natural desires that make it hard for me to be the person God wants. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the things I actually do that hurt me, that hurt other people, that hurt God. Contrition is acknowledging the things I've done to hurt myself and hurt others and hurt God and to let my heart break over it, to be crushed by it in some way, to feel, to feel broken by it. The next slide. Ellen Davis argues it's only when our hearts are broken that we can really receive God's mercy. That in some sense, God's love, God's forgiveness, God's mercy makes its way into us through our broken places, through our broken hearts. I mentioned on Ash Wednesday, like feeling like I'm dust. I think that might be a good place to be. Like I'm dust. And acknowledging that, opens me to a God who is perpetually offering me love. But here's my problem, and maybe this is your problem. I'm often hard-hearted. I'm often unwilling to acknowledge my limitation. I'd rather compare myself to other people who I'm clearly better than in my own mind. And that makes me feel good. At least I'm not Susie, or I'm not 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 i did did not susie haynes i did not have you in mind at least i'm not jack there's no jacks here right at least i'm not fred we want to compare because then it keeps me from actually having to be contrite about my own issues but the moment i allow myself to be broken by the ways i've hurt myself and other people and god god's love comes flooding in this is the irony Right this second, God is offering you and me forgiveness and love and grace. Right now, this moment, God is not holding back. Do you want to know what holds back? My attitude. My failure to be contrite. My failure to be broken by the ways I've hurt myself and others. My sin. The moment I can acknowledge it the way David acknowledges it, the moment you can acknowledge it the way Peter acknowledges it, his denial of Jesus, is the moment he immediately receives Jesus' grace. Right? This is how the story goes. It's here offered. Do you want it? It just takes contrition. That's it. And this is how I picture it. I picture it like being crippled by financial debt, like you're crushed under the weight of financial debt. Some of you have this feeling. It feels like you can't breathe. It feels like the water is rising and I'm trying to keep my head above it, right? That's how it feels when you can't get out of debt. And it's as though you had a family member or a friend who was saying, you know what, I have more than I need. I'm going to help you financially. I'm going to alleviate your debt. It's, it's right here. All it requires is you to acknowledge that you need help. That's it. That's what it requires. And I'm like, no thanks. I'm like Walt from Breaking Bad. No thanks, I'll do it myself. That pride, that sense that I can't let my heart be broken because of what I've done means that God's love and God's forgiveness sits there at arm's length. So part of Lent is training and part of our training is acknowledging the ways we've hurt each other. And I know in your mind, there are relationships in your life, there are people in your life, there are ways you sin against yourself, that you don't love yourself or care for yourself. Acknowledging that this Lenten season is the first step to letting our hearts be broken such that God might pour in. I'm going to say one other thing, and again, Every single thing I'm saying today, please hold it in a a tension between the guilt and shame that many of you were raised with and the sin's not really a thing we're going to talk about. Everything I say, try to find the middle, right? The healthy middle here. I'm going to make the argument, as Ellen Davis does, that not only does what I do hurt me, it hurts God. God that love means being vulnerable to pain. If you've loved anyone, you are vulnerable to that person, correct? You love your kids, they can hurt you. And what happens to them hurts you and affects you because you love them. If you, if you love a friend, they can betray you. You love a spouse, they can let you down. To love is to be vulnerable. Oh, it's the, it's the downside of love. Wouldn't it be great to love and then also not care? But you can't. I love, which means I care. If God is love, then God is so open to being vulnerable to human sin. God is so vulnerable to what we do. The story from the, from the all the way from the Garden of Eden to like Golgotha where Jesus is crucified is an image of God who is who cares deeply and is hurt by what we do. And continues to love anyway. And continues to forgive anyway. And continues to show grace anyway. That God's heart breaks again and again, and this doesn't display God's weakness. This displays God's strength to love in the face of vulnerability. And so too, it is our call to love in the face of our vulnerability.